the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I know a place where we can go. This is Crosswalk Colorado Springs, a local community faith program from 100.7. The Word. We're going down to the river, down to the river, down. Well, hello, everybody. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here at Colorado Springs. I am so excited to be with you live on Crosswalk. Usually, you've probably heard my program, Engage in Truth. I have a wonderful co-host, Dr. Steve Ford, and we have the privilege of going through God's Word, giving a biblical worldview as we assess a number of topics. We've been going through recently the 10 issues that divide Christians. It's been a very serious subject matter, and usually our program airs on Saturday and Sunday, and I have the wonderful privilege of being with you during drive time here on 100.7 as we're talking about a number of issues. Today, I get to dial in with you on prayer. That's right. We've got a lot of things going on in the world today, and we need to understand how to pray. Uh, In fact, as you just look to the news right now with what's going on in Ukraine, what's going on in Israel, a number of folks are giving various perspectives on that, of course, and we are certainly watching very attentively. I've taken a number of groups to Israel, spent a great deal of time there. We have blown shofars there. We have studied faithfully, on location, God's holy word there in the land of Israel. And so to have this happening there, it it grieves my heart because I have a lot of friends in that area. We have three churches we support, and they're keeping us updated of what's happening. Of course, you're seeing it happen almost real time on the news. And biblically, we're keeping a very close eye on this, of what we see in Psalm 83, Ezekiel 38, and all these things that are happening. We're seeing the League of Arab League, the League of Nations, even the Arab League, all trying to commute on this, and the Arab League is going to Moscow to deal with some of this. So a lot of things that are falling into place that seem like biblical prophecy unfolding right before us. And I'm not going to speak to all of that today, but I would encourage you, please pray for Israel. Please pray for the salvation of those who are in the land of Israel, those who are Arabs, those who are Jews, and all throughout that region. Let us pray that God would reveal to them the true Messiah, that the Arabs would turn from a false religion, that those who, on the Jewish side, who will not accept the Messiah as Jesus Christ, I pray that this would be the time, like what God did during the Yom Kippur War, when there was miracles, when there was a a great revealing of what God was doing in their midst, that they would see him and they would be attentive to the Lord Jesus Christ, that Yeshua HaMashiach is their Savior. So let us pray to that end. Today we're talking about prayer. It seems so fitting given what is happening in our world today. Today I want to take you and I title this Daniel's Prayer for the People. So as you're driving down the road right now, perhaps, I want you to think about this. And you could, of course, come back to this as a podcast on, on our wonderful website here, 100.7. Uh, this section that we're going to go through is Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 19. And it's all about prayer. 
And we're going to be reading what I believe is one of the most powerful prayers in the Bible. And the Bible is filled with them. I mean, you'd expect that, right? I mean, that's just God's holy word. He's given us his word. And in this, it's there's a number of prayers that are captured. For example, the Lord's wonderful prayer that is an entire chapter that is dedicated to his prayer of John chapter 17, verses 1 to 26. And then there's the longest written prayer in the Bible, Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 5 to 38. Powerful prayers. And in this study, what we're going to hear from is from Daniel. And he's aching for God to forgive and restore the nation of Israel. It's ultimately a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer for restoration for the nation of Israel. How fitting is that, given the circumstances that they're going through right now? They're in the middle of war. And we would seek that God would bring repentance, that God would bring restoration. So it's not just going to impact us individually. It's going to impact us corporately, even as a church, as we learn how to pray. And you have to understand that my background before I was a pastor at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church, I had the privilege of serving at the National Day of Prayer Task Force. And so all across the country, teaching people how to pray, served alongside Shirley Dobson and spent 20 years with Focus on the Family. And so going all out around the country to teach people how to pray, this is something that is very near and dear to my heart. And here we're going to get behind the scenes of, of, of a man's life. Here's Daniel, who was willing to die so that he could keep praying three times a day at least. And Daniel chapter 6, verse 10 shows us that. So we're going to get behind the scenes now and find out how does a man of God pray? And you think about Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15, the Lord's Prayer. And that becomes a staple, a model for how we're to pray. And Daniel prays in a similar vein, in a similar way. And that's what we'd expect from Scripture. It is consistent all the way through. But not only will we hear Daniel's love and adoration for God and his holiness, but then we're going to really study throughout this how God will even dispatch an angel immediately to address Daniel's prayer. Now think about that. If you if you experience the magnitude of that kind of praying, so often when we pray, we don't even think that our prayers are leaving the ceiling. I mean, sometimes we're praying in doubt. We really don't understand the magnitude of what's going on. You go to Romans chapter 8, and we find out that when we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit's helping us, and then the Lord Jesus is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. And then Revelation says that he collects our prayers. I want to take you to Revelation for just a moment. He talks about the prayers of the saints and how it's used in warfare against Satan. This is, this is the paradigm shift that I want you to have with me in thinking about how we pray. Instead of those mundane little prayers where we just don't even, you know, maybe we don't even have time to pray at all. Maybe we've gone a whole week without praying. And we don't think about the magnitude of what praying really is. Hear these words for just a moment. Here's what Revelation chapter 5 verse 8 says. Now, when he, this is Jesus, had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Okay, so he's collecting the prayers of the saints. And then in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 to 5, here's what we read. Then another angel having a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. 
and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. Now, I just, can you imagine that for a moment? That your prayers likened to the altar of incense that was outside of the Holy of Holies at the tabernacle and, yes, even in the temple. And it was supposed to be a special aroma unto the Lord. It had to fill the fullness of the Holy of Holies. No man, no woman could ever wear this type of perfume or smell or sweet-smelling aroma. It had to be for God only. And that really speaks to our prayers as well. We don't pray to anything else or anyone else. We only pray to Yahweh by way of Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of him, we have a voice into the throne room of God, and our prayers fill the Holy of Holies. And then he collects these into these urns, if you will, this, and then it's placed before his presence. And doesn't seem like he gets rid of them. He uses them. In fact, he, he takes this before himself, and he uses it in spiritual warfare. What a, a paradigm shift about your prayers. Now, while Daniel tends to focus, he gets he gets seven, mind you, of these written opportunities throughout Daniel where he's the interpreter of dreams or visions or he receives dreams and visions. And he does this seven times throughout the book of Daniel. And while we focus a great deal in Daniel on future events, we cannot become so attached to future events that we lose sight of the present. That's very easy to do. We talk a lot about eschatology in churches, and rightfully so. I mean, the Bible is the third built on prophecy and speaks of future events and occurrences. So we could spend a lot of time there, but it's something we have to understand that God through the prayers of his saints is moving in the affairs of men right now. And those actions cascade through time. So let's uh, get into this. I know that our time is going to be short. It's going to go by quick, but I want to read to you at least the first 19 verses here of Daniel chapter nine. Listen carefully to this. It's going to set the stage for what we're going to be talking about throughout this program. Verse 1, Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ashuerus, of the line, the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Then I set my face toward the Lord, God, to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made a confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. We have sinned and committed iniquity. Crosswalk, Colorado Springs on 100.7. The Word. Well, welcome back, everybody. John Borchine here. I'm your host for Crosswalk. I'm so excited to be here with you. Uh, if you're familiar with my voice at all, you probably have heard my program here on 100.7 The Word. It's Engage in Truth, and it airs on Saturdays and Sundays, so Saturday at 1.30, Sunday at 9 a.m. So I have the privilege here of hosting live with you as you're maybe you're making your commute home. Uh, we're in the book of Daniel in our study. As a Calvary church, we are verse by verse. So we've been studying in Daniel chapter 9. My hope for you is while you're making your commute home, maybe you're just listening from home or at work still, my joy and hope is that you will understand then this powerful section of Scripture, Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 to 19, on Daniel's prayer for the people. In fact, he gives us five attributes of intercessory prayer. Right before the commercial break, we are reading this powerful section. So let me back up just for a moment. I'm going to read back starting in verse 3. 
and really outlines the context here, what we're going to learn and draw out of this text of how to pray, especially while all this stuff is going on in the world today, and we just don't know what to do with it. We don't know how to handle this. We get frustrated. We get angry. We see all these videos coming in from Israel, from the Ukraine. Maybe we're just struggling to pay our bills this week. We just don't know what to do. And the right response, as you'll see from a man of prayer, is to go to prayer. That's right. Daniel was known as a man of prayer. He prayed at least three times a day. He's willing to die to continue to pray to the true God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the true God who created the entire universe and just breathes out its existence. He speaks it into being. And so he prays to Yahweh, the one true only God. And for us, it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And he hears our prayers and we speak into his throne room. It's powerful. So we have to understand the magnitude and power of prayer if we're going to rightly handle all of our anxieties, our fears, our stresses, and all the burdens of this world. What are we to do? Well, naturally, what we tend to do is you go to the water cooler and talk about it. Go to some friends and gripe about it. But the right response is we go to God's word and we pray about it. That's the right response. So here we are, Daniel chapter 9. Let's back up to verse 3. He says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make request by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession and said, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us, shame of face. As it is to this day, to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off and all the countries to which you have driven them because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belong shame of face to our kings, our princes and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord, our God belong mercy and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his ways, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yes, all Israel has transgressed your law and has departed so as not to obey your voice. Therefore, the curse and the oath written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. And he has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our judges who judged us by bringing upon us great disaster for under the whole heaven, such has never been done as what has been done to Jerusalem. As it is written to the law or in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God that we might turn from our iniquities and understand your truth. Therefore, the Lord has kept the disaster in mind and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous at all the works which he does, though we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and made yourself a name as it is this day, we have sinned and we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all your righteousness, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain, because of our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers. Jerusalem and your people are a reproach 
to all those around us. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of your servant and his supplications. And for the Lord's sake, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, incline your ear and hear. Oh, open your eyes and see our desolations in the city which is called by your name. For we do not present our supplications because before you because of our righteous deeds, but because of your great mercies. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, listen and act. Do not delay for your own sake, my God, for your city and your people are called by your name. Oh, now that is a prayer. And you'll see that he doesn't even get the amen in there. And then God dispatches an angel to speak with Daniel. Now, as a good verse by verse church, let me just set, do the sit rep for you here, uh, the background of what's going on here. It says here in verse one of Daniel chapter nine, that this is the first year of Darius, the son of Ashuerus of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. Now, what that means is that Daniel chapter 9 was happening about the same time as Daniel chapter 6. And for all of those who went through vacation Bible school or Sunday school, you know what that means. That means that this is the same time as when Daniel was put into the lion's den. That's right. Darius, who was the vice regent under Cyrus, had just conquered Neo-Babylon around 539 B.C. Daniel is roughly 81 years of age at this point. And there's only about two to three more years before Zerubbabel is going to lead the first wave of the Israelites who've been captive in Babylon all the way back 900 miles back to Jerusalem around 536 B.C. So it had been prophesied that Israel would be captives in Babylon for 70 years. And then the Lord would fulfill his promise and bring the people back to the land of Israel. And that's spoken of in Jeremiah chapter 25 and chapter 29. And here in Daniel 9, we see that Daniel makes that connection. He's reading about these prophetic words. He's been in Babylon for 67 years. And now you feel the zeal, the urgency the burden for the people, We're, we've got to be close, he, he must be thinking. So verse 2, it says that in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, now that's a phrase he uses five times throughout the study of Daniel. It's almost like a legal, testimonial type of measure. I, Daniel, understood by the book of the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, despite growing up in Babylon, Daniel longed for Judah's captivity to be over. He longed for the land to be restored, and he knew now that it must be very soon. He's been there for 67 years. He arrived in Babylon at 14 years of age. He's only got about three more years left in this body before he graduates to be with the Lord. He doesn't know that as he's writing this. We know that now as we've read it. And so he's probably feeling the same way that we are right about now. The time of the end is soon. You're feeling that burden. You feel like Jesus is coming soon. I I feel for you because I too feel that. And, And so he has a burden here. The time of the end must be soon. But he doesn't know when because there were three different dates when Nebuchadnezzar took the Israelites back to Babylon, 605 B.C., 597 B.C., and 586 B.C. So when did the 70 year count begin? Now, think about that. By the time the third group got back to Babylon, when they were taken captive to Babylon, Daniel had already been there for 19 years. 
So as he's looking at this text from Jeremiah, he's probably wondering, when did the countdown begin? He really didn't know. So this is where this marvelous prayer comes in because Daniel's studying the word of God and it leads him to pray. He wants to see the prophecies fulfilled. Do you blame him? He's already over 80 years old. He knows that his time is short in this land. He's eager to see the prophecies come to pass in his lifetime. And I suspect that the Lord placed this burden on his heart. I mean, anytime that I've prayed and some names come rushing into my mind, when I think about somebody's name, when I think about a situation, I mean, I could be right in the middle of a thought with God and suddenly it it just feels like I'm distracted. But I don't know if that's always the case. I think God has planted that burden there for a reason. I believe he's going to do that for you, just as he did for Daniel. The more time you spend in prayer, the more he will burden you for the things that burden his heart. And that's what we're going to pick up here. We're going to start learning now about the five aspects of intercessory prayer. So hang on. I want to thank you for listening here to Crosswalk right here on 100.7 The Word. This is Crosswalk, Colorado Springs on 100.7 The Word. Well, welcome back, everybody, to Crosswalk. This is John Bornstein. I'm a senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. I have the privilege of hosting here today. I want to thank our producer, Matt. He's doing a fantastic job. I know he doesn't want to always get all that attention on himself, but he's working behind the scenes doing a fantastic job. And he's allowed me to have the microphone here today to talk to you while maybe you're just driving down the road. Maybe you're home. You still work. Wherever you may be, I have the privilege of taking you to God's holy word. Daniel chapter 9 is where we're at. And we've been studying now verses 1 to 19, about one of the most powerful written prayers in God's holy word. And so from that, not only do we understand the situation now of what we've been talking about, but then what we're supposed to draw from this is how are we then to pray? We get the behind-the-scenes look at a man after God's heart, not, not a different way. I mean, David was a man after God's heart, but Daniel was also a man after God's heart. I mean, he prayed three times a day. He was unashamed to pray to God, and even to do so if it was to cost him his life. And so when you get the behind-the-scenes glimpse of a man like that, of how he lives his life in favor of the Lord and in service to the Lord, and and he desires the goodness of, of the relationship with God and to commune with him. And he's willing to do that three times a day or more. And he'd want to miss any of it. And so what we could draw from this then is how are we also to pray, especially when all this stuff is going on in the world today. When we turn on the news and maybe we're just struggling to get through our own week. How are we to pray? And so there's five attributes of intercessory prayer that I want you to draw with me from this particular text. And you see right away in verses 3 to 4 of Daniel chapter 9 that immediately he's going to God in a humble posture. I mean, it says that he uses fasting, sackcloth, ashes. He is putting his face to the ground. And so I want you to see that. This is the sit rep here of what is going on where Daniel is burdened for the state of Israel. And that is seems so fitting for what is going on in Israel right now. That like Daniel, who was burdened for the state of Israel there in Babylon under Persian rule, we also are burdened for the state of Israel. So how are we to pray in this? Well, number one, prayer is in response to the word of God. That's number one. Prayer is in response to the word of God. You see, Daniel was reading the word of God, and it stirred his heart to pray with specificity. So to know the purposes and plans of God, we must read his word. It just, it 
boggles my mind when people sit there and they say, you know what, I wish God would just talk to me. (laughs) Now, I get it. You probably want some audible voice. You don't really want any writing on the wall. That didn't go so well uh, for for others, okay? So when Belteshazzar was uh, seeing writing on the wall, or Belshazzar was seeing writing on the wall, that was not a good sign. Okay, so listen, God has given us 66 letters that have been compiled that we call the canon of God's holy word. And they're marked out with 1,189 chapters, 31,102 verses, 783,137 words. Okay, did you write that down? Okay, so that, that's the holy word of God. And, and when he's given you this, and you got to think about how many lives were lost in trying to compile that and collect that and collate it and give it to us today that we would use it and understand God's word And so it's been given to us, and we probably have a number of these copies in our home. It is time that we use it. And reading his word will always provoke a response, because prayer aligns us ultimately with the purposes of God. So intercessory prayer and reading the Bible are inseparably linked. We've got to understand that. Psalm 119, verse 24 tells us that. And you remember in Ezra chapter 9, verse 4, we're told that when the people hear the reading of God's word, they trembled. Okay, that's the right response to reading God's word. Listen to this, Psalm 1, 1 to 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You see, when the Apostle John received the revelation of Jesus Christ in chapter 22, the Lord says that he is coming quickly. What was John's response? I love it. We always think we have to have these long, eloquent prayers. No, we just study God's word, and there's a response that comes out of studying his word. Listen to what John says. Amen, even so come Lord Jesus, exclamation point. That's Revelation 22.20. Okay, that's probably one of the shortest prayers of Scripture right there. That's what happens when the message provokes a response to pray for the Lord's kingdom to come. Have you really been praying for thy kingdom come and thy will be done? I don't know that we often pray that. And in the New Testament, we read in Acts chapter 4, or excuse me, Acts chapter 6, verse 4, that the leadership of the church body was to give themselves to prayer and ultimately to the ministry of the Word. So they're inextricably linked. You you have one with the other. Go to Ephesians 3 on that as well. So it's a fact that the Word generates God-honoring prayer. When it speaks of God, well, we long to commune with Him. We we want to go right to to spend time with Him, to to hear from—I mean, it's, it's amazing how the prayers of the saints, when you read God's Word, then align your heart with His. So when it speaks of blessing— We long to praise him. When it speaks of all things made new, we long to receive it. When it speaks of promise, we long to realize it. When it speaks of sin, we're we're convicted, I believe, in the heart to confess it. And when it speaks of hell, we pray for the lost. So the word of God is ultimately a catalyst for great prayer. The word frames and shapes our prayers. Number two, prayer is grounded in God's will. You see, prayer is generated by the word. It's grounded in his will, ultimately. So if if reading God's word provokes your heart to pray, 
then our prayers are grounded in his will because the Bible is the foundation upon which you are praying. You're not praying out of your emotion. Now, if your emotions are led because you're burdened for the things that burden God, we just got to make sure to keep those things called emotions in check because sometimes they can be leading us astray. Sometimes they're, they're of the flesh and not of the Lord. We've got to be very attentive to these matters because so often we can allow our emotions to dictate everything, including how we pray, and then we treat God like a divine genie just to absolve all of our problems because we want all the afflictions and persecution to go away. We really don't want God's will to be done. Now, back in James chapter 4, we're reminded that we're to pray the will of God. James 4, 3 says, You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Well, that happens an awful lot in our praying today. We're in this fast food culture. We want everything yesterday. We don't really want to cultivate closer relationship with God. We just want him to fix everything. And then he says in 1 John five fourteen. now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Now, there's the key. We have to ask according to his will. How do we know his will? Well, we got to know his word. We got to be in the word and of the word. And we see this clearly outlined in God's gift to us by way of the Lord's model prayer in Matthew chapter 6. So when Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we need to do that. And it would be an appropriate time with all that's going on in the world today that we pray his will to be done and we pray his kingdom to come. And it's an interesting thing about prayer is that we're ultimately praying for God's perfect will to be done ultimately. But the irony in this, this is the irony here, is we know that God's perfect will is going to be accomplished whether we pray for it or not. Isaiah 14, 27 tells us that, Job 42, 2, that we cannot thwart the will of God. So why pray for it? <laughs> well, there's at least a couple things that come to mind here. Uh, number one is that praying his will to be done aligns our hearts and minds with the will of God. That's why he does that. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 to 2 give us that. And we're being obedient when we do it. And what happens when we're obedient? Well, there's wonderful blessings. It doesn't necessarily mean just monetarily or physically or any type of those kind of blessings. That's usually how we measure those blessings, and that's not accurate. There's all kinds of blessings that flow. There's a joy, a peace that surpasses understanding. So let me give you an example of why we're to keep praying for God's will to be done. I'll try to get this in before our next break here. But 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 19 to 25 give us some of that. All right, the break's going to come up. Let me just, let me just pique your interest here. There's a reason why we pray God's will to be done, even though we know that God's will is going to be done. It's one of those amazing things that blows the mind because when we do God's will, it's something that aligns our hearts with His. All right, so stay tuned. Keep listening here at Crosswalk 100.7 The Word. Crosswalk Colorado Springs on 100.7 The Word. Well, welcome back, everybody. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I have the privilege of hosting Crosswalk here at Drive Time. And I know maybe many of you right now are driving down the road and you're listening to this. Maybe you're still at home, at work, wherever you might be. My heart in this is to encourage you. We are going through Daniel chapter 9, learning how to pray five attributes of intercessory prayer. And given everything that you're seeing on the headlines these days, maybe the things you're dealing with at work and your personal life, one of the, the best and most powerful things we can learn how to do is to pray. And to understand that, we have to know God's Word, 
And to know God's will, we have to know his word. So we're going to pray God's will to be done. And to pray God's will, we got to know God's word. You see how this works? So when I kind of previewed this right before we went to station break, um, I was telling you a little bit about why it's important that we pray God's will to be done. Because after all, we understand that God's will is going to be done whether we pray for it or not, right? Isaiah chapter 14, verse 27 tells us that. Job 42, 2, we cannot thwart the will of God. But then we find out in Romans chapter 12 is that when we pray God's will to be done, it aligns our hearts and minds with the will of God. That's very important because so often we don't understand things that are going on around us. We get frustrated. We get weary in doing good. And we have to be reminded when we understand God's word, we're then praying for the strength. We're praying for repentance. We're praying for restoration. We're praying for salvation of souls. And this aligns our hearts with his, and we have a new zeal for the things of God. He knows exactly what he's doing. We just have to trust him. And praying helps to align and calm our hearts when we don't understand. Now, there's a wonderful series of examples scripturally of why we pray God's will to be done when we know that God's will is going to be done. But it's the great joy that we have when we're obedient. And we see this in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 19 to 25. We pick up at the end of the chapter where Samuel is addressing the people and their sins at the coronation of King Saul. And he tells them not to fear Despite all their wickedness, for the Lord will not forsake his people, listen, for his great name's sake. That's 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 22. And then while he's telling them to serve the Lord with all their heart, he adds that he must not sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for them. 1 Samuel 12, 23. So Samuel revealed that God's perfect plans could not be thwarted, And he would fulfill all of his promises for his great namesake. But simultaneously, Samuel reveals that failure to pray the will of God over the nation would still be sinful on his part. You see how that works? It's a powerful thing. There's an obedient action that we do when we go before the courtroom of heaven. Zechariah gives us that image. And you can almost picture that as you bring these burdens that the Lord has probably placed on your heart for a reason. Maybe there's a, a name flooding into your mind when you pray. And when you take those matters before the court of heaven and you have your parakletos with you as you address the courtroom and you have the Lord Jesus, who's your attorney, and the heavenly father there before you, we know there's a prosecutor also in the room. And Satan is trying to speak against you, speak against your family, trying to demoralize you. And this courtroom scene, powerful as it is, the enemy is rendered speechless. He cannot speak against you because your parakletos, Jesus Christ, your attorney, has made intercession for you. And he's at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you. When you don't know how to speak, the Holy Spirit gives you the words to speak or translates on your behalf, according to Romans chapter 8. That's an amazing thing because I don't know about you. So often I go into my prayer time and my mind is distracted with all of these things. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to pray. And you actually get better at this the more time you spend in God's word, the more time you pray, the more time you have a new zeal than to talk to God, to commune with him. And then we find out that that's why he says we must pray without ceasing for the will of God, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17. Now, Jesus demonstrated this perfectly for us, and we'd expect that he would, right? I mean, before going to the cross, he said, not my will, but yours be done. Luke chapter 22, verse 42. In John 4, 34, he said his mission was to do the will of him who sent him. In John 5, 30, he did not seek to please himself, but him who sent him. In John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So you've got to keep our eyes open. We've got to be specific about what we're praying, but not 
not only how, how we just watch what's going on around us, but to, the, to be more discerning about how to pray over those circumstances. And to do that, we have to go to God's word to understand what we're seeing. See, we can watch the headlines, and often we've got to be very careful because the media, unfortunately, can be very deceiving. And we've got men and women on the other side of those headlines that are writing those headlines and those news stories. We've got to be very careful with that. It can provoke emotional responses. So we need to filter the lens of God's holy word to be able to interpret rightly what's happening around us. That's what the sons of Issachar had, right? They, they were able to understand the signs of the, of the times and know what they were to do. And that requires us to know God's word, i.e. to know his will. So we must be able to understand in light of his word to pray intelligently. Now, again, this takes time. It takes time. Give yourself a break. As you learn how to pray and you intercede for others, you, you start to cultivate this closer communion with God. So we, we are to watch carefully, but we have the help of the Holy Spirit to know how to pray in these circumstances. Romans eight twenty six to 27 tells us, Likewise, the Spirit who helps us in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So when you're not necessarily praying the will of God, the Holy Spirit's going to interpret on your behalf to pray the will of God. Number three, prayer is characterized by fervency. Fervency is sincerity with enthusiasm. Okay, so when Daniel prayed in verse 3 of chapter 9, he sets his face toward the Lord God. It says he's in fasting and in sackcloth because his day revolved around the creator of the universe. Can you imagine such a thing? Why is it that we just try to squeeze God in? Maybe a little 10 minutes here, a little 30 seconds there. Maybe even before a meal, we might squeeze God in. There doesn't seem to be urgency or even a focus on God. Why would he give you answers? When you know that you're treating God disrespectfully, right? He needs to be the center of our world. That's why I long for the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, because during that thousand year reign, the whole world will revolve around him. That's the right thing. Our days should be carved around our appointments with God. And listen to the teaching of Jesus on this. Hopefully I get this in before the next break. He says, now it came to pass as he was praying. And mind you, this is Luke chapter 11. In a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend? And go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? 
If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask of him? You see, we're to be persistent, but we're to go to God with anything and everything that his will ultimately be done. Initially, we might pray out of emotion, out of immediate physical need, but in that cultivation that you have with closer communion with God, you will learn to pray more specifically for his will to be done even through your adversities. We're reminded that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much in James chapter 5, verse 16. And we're told that James 5, that Elijah met with God and prayed earnestly for the will of God to be done. You see, this is an investment of time. It's a testing of our heart. And ultimately, will we be persistent as even the widow was in Luke 18? Stay tuned. Keep with us here. We'll get through these five points right here on 100.7 The Word. The Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.